Amen. Turn around and say hello to somebody tonight. Good to have the crowd out tonight that we have. Amen. And amen. Oh, praise the Lord. It's, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. And uh, thank you for your faithfulness. You know, we've had, we've had good givers. Now, that doesn't mean we've got money to give away. It just means that we've got our bills paid. Praise the Lord. It's nice to have a testimony in these difficult times. And uh, church didn't get a stimulus check or anything like that. But we do appreciate everybody who's given regularly. And we have our regular envelopes and our faith promise. We're right on track, a little ahead of, of, uh, of our schedule in faith promise. And we're in our special project. This is about number seven. Put Zick, Z-I-C-K. They have been soul winning in open air venues. Uh, they'll be going to some fairs as they open up in the Southland. And uh, they'll be uh, all the time there now in farmer's markets and open air flea markets and so forth and winning souls. Last month, uh, 80, I believe 87 adults and uh, young people that were led to Christ and they got records on them and praise the Lord. So they're doing a good job. Uh, pray for and give to the Zicks. Things haven't changed. Even though circumstances may seem uncertain, the things that are really important don't change. Have you noticed that? Things that really matter have not changed. And in the Sword of the Lord, uh, Dr. Smith uh, stated, just for the record, one more time, this. And I know on the front of the Sword of the Lord it always says what they stand for. But he, he wrote a column, and we agree. And I want this to go out, and so all of you folks out there, repeat it to somebody else. Tell somebody else. But here's what Dr. Smith says, and I'm quoting him because I agree. He says, we are Christians and we will testify to it. Not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. We are servants of God. We preached on that this morning. How Jesus defined greatness. We're servants. Minister means servant. We're servants. We have to have a servant's heart. So he says, we are servants of God and happily so. We do see right and declare it. We see wrong and expose it. We believe the Bible from cover to cover without apology. I say amen and amen. And I'm not talking about a Bible that no longer exists. Uh, when people start talking about only the original manuscripts, that never was a Bible as such. Never was a Biblios. It never was collated and put together. What we've got is the Word of God, which is inspired and preserved in our language, the King James Bible, we make no apology for it. We don't correct it. It corrects us. And in, in um, uh, Brother Gipp uh, put out two more answer books. He's got answer book one and two and three. I'm giving a shout out for Brother Gipp. Uh, and we are praising the Lord for that. We're going to be reviewing it. But he once again, as he does in some of his other publications, he talks about how he has heard so-called preachers, they think preaching is taking the King James Bible and looking up in the Strong's Concordance, the alternative meanings of the words. You know, you look up your, your words in the Concordance and find the alternative meanings of the words and say things like, this should better be translated. And then they, they give a little uh, spiel on what they think it ought to be, how it ought to be translated. That's the Strong's Concordance approach by preachers. And they think they're preaching. And then they, they figure out how to alliterate it. They get you three points and you're out of there. And you go home and you're no closer to God than you were when you came. doesn't do anything. And he explains how you take the Word of God and how you study it. And the, the number one blessed way 
to derive the maximum amount of meaning from the Word of God is to cross-reference in context within the Bible itself. Amen. Come on now. That's it. That is the main thing. That is the main thing. You get to know all this Bible. You get it into your heart, and, uh, and it'll keep you from sinning. Amen. So uh, we believe the Bible from cover to cover without apology. He says, Brother Smith goes on to say, we are aggressive in our efforts to evangelize and make converts. I want to be honest in saying that. So everywhere we go, we take tracks, we're going to be taking flyers, and we're going to be aggressively inviting people to church. The 4th of April, everybody say, the 4th of April. Say it again, the 4th of April. Now say, Resurrection Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. I want to pack this place out. Oh, preacher, oh, now you're going to get in trouble. No, I want to pack this place out on what the world calls Easter. I want as many people here as can come and hear the gospel and get saved. Amen. Take your supplements, take your vitamins, do whatever you got to do, whatever. You know, uh, you're, big, you're big, uh, big kids. You can handle it. All right. Amen. So we want to be aggressive in our efforts to evangelize and make converts. We are church people and are delighted in the fellowship of our fellow believers, he says. We are local church people. We're pro-life, pro-family, pro-marriage, one man and one woman. Amen. Come on now. We are pro-America, patriotic, flag-waving, pro-capitalism, amen, and free enterprise enthusiasts. I talked about this last week. I'm talking about it now. I believe that, and I'm enthusiastic about it. We need to teach the, the rising generation to be Christian capitalists, to be free enterprise Americans. Very important. We're opposed to abortion, infanticide, euthanasia, homosexuality, lying, stealing, cheating, thuggery, and liquor in all of its formats. All right? However, if you disagree, we can still live on the same street. I like that. If we disagree, we can live on the same street. It's America! If you wish to speak, I can wait my turn, but be assured, I will want my turn. If you are wrong, I respect your right to be wrong, but I reserve the right to say that I believe you are wrong. You don't have to get offended. Don't call somebody a, a bad name because they disagree with you, especially if they have a correct reason or they have a, uh, they have a, a systematic approach to what they believe. That's what this country was built on, free and open discussion. And now we've got the censorship uh, czars running around and censoring us and trying to take us off of different platforms and so forth. All right. If you're wrong, I respect your right to be wrong, but I reserve the right to say that I believe you're wrong. If you want to shut me up, I will not give in to your pressure. Let me say that again. If you want to shut me up, I will not give in to your pressure. If you choose to hate me, I do not have to hate you back, and I will not hate you. If you want to do jam damage to my family, my city, my country, or my church, you need not think that I will sit still for that. Look me in the eye. I mean what I'm saying. If you want things that are wrong to be made right, I will help you make the corrections, but I cannot abide your doing wrong in order to secure your goals. So do not ship in to the place where you're going to be peacefully protesting, flats filled with rocks and bricks, so you can conveniently throw them at places and people and say it was a spontaneous response. That's nothing other than planned thuggery, planned 
violence by people who are not ashamed to be communists. Well, I'm not ashamed to be anti-communist, all right? So there we are. Amen. I hope you're getting this tonight. We still believe the old King James Bible. When I was in Bible college, Dr. David Weeks taught us an acrostic for being Baptist. Now, some people use B-A-P-T-I-S-T, and they come out with a real good acrostic. But he gave us one that we'll never forget, Brapsis. You say, what does that mean? It sounds like, like you know, just a, a made-up word, and it is. B-R-A-P-S-I-S with a little two down here because there are two things that come off of the last S. B stands for Bible, sole authority of faith and practice. When I went to Bible college, the Bible college I went to, preacher, we had a Dean Bergen Society on campus that was active. There was only one Bible that was permitted uh, in, on the platform and in the classroom. No other Bibles were permitted. We did have Greek classes, and we have learned later on that some of the Greek that was being taught was minority text. But I'm telling you, the English Bible that was stood for was the King James Bible, and we had the Dean Bergen Society. The Bible is the sole authority for faith and practice. R, regenerated church membership. People need to be able to give a credible testimony of their salvation experience before they become members of our local church. A stands for autonomous church government. That means we are independent. We don't have somebody over us telling us what to do. P stands for priesthood of the believer. That means we come directly into God's presence. So it's Bible, sole authority, regenerated church membership, autonomous church government, priesthood of the believer. S, the first S, stands for soul liberty. That means we will not fight you. You can believe anything you want to believe. Now, what you believe may cause you not to be a Baptist anymore, but we will fight for your right to believe whatever you want to believe. That's called soul liberty. All right? I stands for immersion and the Lord's Supper are the only two ordinances. They're the two ordinances of the local church. There's no place in there for foot washing, even though that's a humbling experience. It's not an ordinance because it does not picture the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The last S has a two by it because it is separation. You don't hear too many people talk about separation anymore. But separation is both, both ecclesiastical, that's church separation. We don't yoke up with other church groups that don't believe what we believe or practice what we practice. And then the other part of separation is ethical or personal separation. We believe that people ought not go places and do things that will do damage to the body, the individual's body, which is the temple of the Holy Ghost, and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. We have 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. Come out from among them ecclesiastical. We have 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Now, every so often we like to do this. And the reason we like to do this is because we want to, you to understand who we are, why we're here, and we need to refresh our minds about that too. We are not here like politicians whose job seems to be to, to constantly run for office or, or run to be re-elected to that same office. That's not why we're here. We are not here simply for purposes of self-preservation. We are here first and foremost to uh, exalt and bring glory and honor to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen on that? That is our number one reason for being here. And that's not according to something we got together and made up, you know, uh, in some kind of a democratic gathering where we voted on it, but rather what the Word of God says. There is no 
debate. We're not going to discuss whether or not we're going to do what's in the Bible. We are going to do what's in the Bible, God helping us. Now tonight, we have already stated that we would be preaching on this uh, specific topic. And I want you to turn with me in the Old Testament to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes was one of three books written by inspiration by uh, King Solomon, the son of David. He wrote, as you know, Proverbs when he was very young. He was a man, according to 1 Kings chapter 3, that was in his own estimation, as I mentioned this morning, very humble. He said, I'm but a child. I don't know, you know, come in, go out. I don't know how to do this. And he asked for an understanding heart. And God made him the wisest man that ever lived. Didn't always use that wisdom, but uh, he was and had access to the greatest amount of wisdom of anybody. And he wrote Proverbs when he was very young. He wrote uh, Song of Solomon about married love. And also we believe the symbolism is that of Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, with those of us who are saved, the bride. So uh, that's a beautiful picture we have. And then also we have Ecclesiastes. Now there is a psalm that is written for him, maybe perhaps by him, but we know that he wrote those three books. And Ecclesiastes was written when he was very, very old. And he saw under the sun. And under the sun means, you know, a, not the heavenly part, but under the sun. Here on earth, there seem to be some, some things that are contradictory and ironic and, and, uh, and uh, disquieting and upsetting and so forth. He had tried everything in this world and nothing under the sun satisfied him. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Everything left him empty. He came up drier than dust. I wrote a song about that. You'll be hearing that next month. But uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, I want to read some scripture for you. And then we're going to get into the message of the evening. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. Then I returned and I saw vanity or emptiness. In other words, no satisfaction, no satisfactory answers under the sun. Apart from the revelation, the revealed truth of God, he couldn't put the pieces together, and nobody can. There is one alone, and there is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother, yet is there no end of all his labor, neither is his eye satisfied with riches, neither saith he, for whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good. This is also vanity, yea, it is a sore travail. Look this way, there is no sin in good hard work. We talked about this Wednesday night. We covered in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. We talked about servants and masters. And whether we be bond or whether we be free opens up the door for us to make application to employees and employers. It's very important that we understand that, that work in and of itself is not wicked. It's not sinful to work. Uh, it's not part of the curse, the difficulty with which we have to work to bring forth from the ground how hard we have to work, how much we have to sweat, how we have to fight the weeds and deal with all of that. That's part of the curse. But work itself is actually an opportunity, an opportunity for us to find our place of productivity. In other words, we are spirit, soul, and body. There is a purpose for my spirit, soul, and body being in this world. I was not born by accident. I am, I am not just a happenstance. God put me here for a reason. That's what we teach every one of the kids that come in on our buses and van. 
We teach them that they're important to God, that they're here on purpose. They're not an accident. And they need to discover the will of God. And you can get into the Word of God and you can get out of the Word of God what His will for you is. You can find out generally and specifically what God wants you to do and what He wants you to become. And whatever that is, you can become the very best that you can by the grace of God for His glory. So why do we work? Why do we work? The answer to that is that each one of us has a different assignment. We have a different assignment. But the joy and privilege of being here is that we interact with each other. And so we can cooperate. And you can say, come on over and help me. And you can get some help. And two of you can lift it. Two of you can move it. It's, it's possible that you can get some cooperation from somebody else and then you cooperate with them. And you don't have to be on a time clock to do that. I've known some of those people that we would call down south as good folks. Now, we know we're all depraved. We're all sinners. But in terms of being neighbors, they're good folks. And they'll do anything for you. They'll come over. They'll help you. They'll give. They'll share. You know, if they, if they get uh, some of that. Now, what are, what are some of the southern, deep south desserts that they make, sweetheart, offhand? Banana pudding. Banana pudding. All I have to do is say the words together. Banana pudding. Don't even put a G on the end of that. Banana pudding. And how many of you would say, Preacher, just saying that does something? Banana pudding. All right? Butter pie. But Anybody ever eat butter pie? Oh, deep south Alabama butter pie. Oh, my. I don't think any good thing can come out of that, but it tastes really good. I think it's, I think it's, a, I think it's got other results. Butter pie. And all, I mean, whenever we were involved in ministry in the deep south, they always had their dinner on the grounds, they had their feeds, they had their potlucks, they had all that stuff, and there was always too much food, wasn't there? Always too much. Now, here at Central Baptist, in the past we've had our dinners, very, very similar to that. What I'm saying to you is, we can, talk, we can talk about things like pie and food and so forth, and it, it may or may not be a good thing, all right? But here, here Solomon is saying that people are working, there doesn't seem to be a plan. There doesn't seem to be any coordination or cooperation. Now, we come to verse 9. Look at verse 9. Two are better than one because they have good reward for their labor. Now this is familiar territory, isn't it? Isn't it, Tyler? This is a familiar passage of Scripture. Had this back at the beginning of the Tyler and Carissa era, right? Okay. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. So it's cooperative. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. This is partially the basis for what uh, Jesus did when he sent out the 70, two and two. They fall, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Kind of like the impotent man at the pool of Bethesda had no man to get him down into the water when it was troubled. Verse 11, again, if two lie together, 
then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? Good question. Verse 12, and if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. We're going to talk about some things tonight that will help us, I believe. Let's uh, pray that God will give us understanding. Father, we pray now for the fullness of the Spirit, for clarity as we talk about this whole business of two, one helping another, and the remaining of a threefold cord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Old Dr. Simpson, back in California, an American canyon outside of, uh, outside of Napa, American canyon. I recall going to fellowships and Dr. Simpson was my connection back to First Baptist Fort Worth uh, where he had gone to their seminary under Dr. J. Frank Norris. He used to tell me all about Norris and how he was and stories that went on, so on and so forth. But he used to say, Brad, many preachers have fallen over the years. He says, I've seen many fall. But he said, more have fallen to discouragement than anything else. That's true. More preachers have fallen to discouragement. They've quit. More than have fallen to false doctrine or to immorality or improprieties in the ministry. Discouragement. Discouragement. My uncle, Evangelist Dwight Winnegar, who went to heaven way too soon. I mean, he died at 28 or 29 years of age. Preached himself to death back in the Billy Sunday era. My uncle, Evangelist Dwight Winnegar, said this. Discouragement is usually the root of defeat. Jesus said some hard things, but He never did once discourage anyone unless it was about sickness, sin, or Satan. Now that's, I would have loved to have heard my Uncle Dwight preach. Barnabas is known in the Bible for a number of things. But one of the things he's known for is his name. It means son of consolation. Barnabas was an encourager. He was an encourager early on of Saul, who became Paul. And later on, when John Mark kind of split, guess who came to encourage him? And eventually, Paul himself had to admit that, uh, that John Mark had become valuable, even though he had quit the first time around. You know, this is good. The gift of and the ministry of encouragement is so important because discouragement is so rampant nowadays. The reason why we encourage people to go on visitation or soul winning or service for the Lord two by two, two and two, not only because of a biblical pattern, but for the practical reasons outlined here. When you're alone, it's too easy for the devil, the world, and the flesh to, to do a number on you and work on you and get you discouraged. I've known fellows that have gone out to start a ministry for the Lord, and they've been alone, and they washed out pretty quickly. They didn't last very long. Some have gone longer, praise God. Some even stuck, praise the Lord. But a lot of churches will do this. They will, they will look for volunteers. They'll send two or three families to an area to start a ministry. And what does that do? That automatically gives them fellowship to begin with, 
and mutual encouragement and it's less likely that they will quit when the team is out there working to start that church, get out the visitation material, uh, advertise the fact that church is going to be starting up on such such a date. And, and I know for some people that that seems like more machinery than we ought to have. But knowing human nature as I know human nature and having seen all of the discouragement and the washouts that I've seen in my lifetime, I think that's not a bad plan. I think that's pretty good. It's depressing when things aren't going well and you haven't got anybody there to encourage you. David encouraged himself in the Lord. Went over in the corner when they were talking about stoning him because the enemy had carried off everything, including their family members. And David heard them talking about stoning him and he went over in the corner. And I don't know what he said. The Bible doesn't record it. And so we just speculate. But he probably went over there and said, David, you're doing a good job. David, you're doing a good job. Don't give up, David. Don't quit, David. You're doing a good job. We need other people to be encouragers in order for us to continue on effectively. Being alone is no fun. We need cooperation. We need fellowship. We need encouragement. This is so important. I remember the days before there were things like internet. I remember when there were catalogs for companies and you could buy mail order items, but you had to do it over the telephone. Couldn't do it. There was no internet. And they had certain ways that you had to have credit, I guess, to do it. But uh, I remember when there was an actual place called Montgomery Ward. I remember when there was an actual place called Sears and Roebuck. It eventually dropped Roebuck and Montgomery got, jumped, got uh, dumped off of, uh, of Ward. But, you know, we have Wards and we've got Sears and... and uh, and these places were actual catalog places. There are many other catalog places too. But in those catalog places, uh, they would feature products of varying qualities. Do you remember that? Do you remember when you could buy the good, the better, or the best? How many of you remember that? Now, I don't know what you bought, but it would kind of depend on how much money you had, right? So... If you're one of those people that said, I'm not going to use it forever, probably, but it's just going to get me by in this particular project, you'd buy the good, the cheaper thing. It's called good, even though it's the cheap thing. Even though it's the least good, it's the good thing. See, advertising works. Better was the in-between thing, and best was the top of the line. It was the more expensive thing. I remember when you could buy musical instruments from Sears and Roebuck and Montgomery Ward. I remember when you could buy them. Now, knowing musical instruments, let me tell you what you were getting. If you bought the best, you were going to spend $50 or $100 more for that musical instrument. But you're going to get something that's, that's probably going to last and probably sounds fairly good. The better is okay. But if you're playing guitar, any guitar players here? Guitar players? All right. The, the strings would stick up above the fret, up, up, above, up, above the, um, up above the neck, so that in order for you to play, you would really develop some good calluses. 
and pushing those strings down to play it. And then it would go blah, 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 blah. Now the good, which is the cheap one. So remember, it's advertising. You got good, better, best. The good one, you didn't pay much money for it, but you didn't get much. If you were buying a trumpet, it was probably soldered in the garage of some fella out of the way place, maybe, you know, Taiwan, some other place, who knows. But instead of having the rich sound of an expensive instrument, it would sound like tin. It didn't, it didn't have the best quality or even the better quality. It was the good. So you had good, better, best. So much for truth in advertising. People would come to trust in their catalog company and they would come to give some credence to good, better, and best. The numbering system meant something to them. In a very similar way, when we have a job to do, you call up a friend, you call up somebody who knows how to fix that or how to do that, how to correct that, and you put, you put some credence to the fact that they're going to help you. Um, when you get a brake job done on your vehicle, Tony, you want somebody who knows what a brake looks like working with you. So you want somebody that knows their stuff, right, to help you out with that, and, or you help them out with it. So you find somebody that can help you out. And so two do better than one, especially when you get perplexed, when you're taking something apart on the automobile and you've got parts left over. That's a little disconcerting, isn't it? Yes, yes. Um, we had somebody in California work on a vehicle one time. And he had parts left over. And he said, oh, it doesn't matter. It mattered. But he said, it doesn't matter. Don't believe everything you hear. All right. So anyway, so we, we came to trust in the numbering system or putting credence in somebody helping out. Now, I told people this morning, if you come back tonight, I'm going to explain to you, at least in part, what may be wrong with marriages, what may be wrong with child-rearing, what may be wrong with churches and with society and with government and, and uh, with various institutions. And, and part of that is the, the lack of good cooperation or the lack of somebody working with you. I promise you, when you're working on a car and you want to have all the parts and everything working when you're done, you want somebody working with you who knows what they're doing, and there's encouragement. Now, you've probably worked with somebody on some project at some time in the past, and you got them to work with you, but by the time you were through, everybody had a headache and the job wasn't getting done exactly right. You know what I'm talking about? If you do, say, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. All across the auditorium, we have experience here speaking up. That's true. You want to be able to get along. You want to be able to be on the same page. You want to agree. God has laid out a correct formula for marriage. That's one man, one woman for life, working together, but allowing the Lord to lead through their lives. So that when they're working together, it's not just them, but it's the Lord. Same thing when it comes to any other effort, it's got to be the Lord working with us. And so... As we have read, two are better than one. We understand about visitation. We understand about working on vehicles or working on home projects or whatever. But we've got the two in verse 9. But down in verse 12, 
It says, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now this threefold cord, which is, which is here in this verse, is actually three ropes that are braided, so much so that it has extra strength. Three, in this case, threefold cord is not easily broken. I have heard of people using this scripture for other types of messages, but I want to use it as I believe it is in context. And that is this. As we have said in a marriage, there has to be a husband and a wife. We're assuming one man, one woman for life. We're assuming saved. We're assuming allowing the Lord to have His way. But there's a third party involved, and He is the Lord Himself. Like a triangle. We have husband and wife, and we have the Lord. And if you connect those, the higher you place the Lord in your relationship, you see the husband and wife pulled together. The higher you put the Lord in your relationship, the closer together the two parties come. That's your threefold cord. That's it in context. You got one who's alone and miserable. You've got two who are together, and that's better than one. But here you've got a threefold cord. That's the way to make a marriage work. God's way. The Genesis 1-1 phrase principle. In the beginning, God. In the beginning of any relationship. In the beginning. So before people even know that they are intended for each other, God should be in the beginning of their individual lives. And when they begin to like each other and then perhaps court, as should be the proper way for Christians, God should be right up here. And if it's explained to them that in this relationship right now, it is not a physical relationship, it is a spiritual relationship that is developing so that the Lord can work in and through them the threefold cord principle comes into play. Now that's good preaching. That's solid teaching. That's good counseling. That's where some marriages have failed to make the grade because it's not a threefold cord. It is two individuals and it's kind of like, well, if I can catch them on the same level with me, I catch her on the same level with me, you know, you got this and this and this. You've got mountains and valleys. You've got ups and downs. You've got on again, off again, whatever metaphor you want to use. It's anything but successful. And you have the same thing in churches, and you have the same thing with child rearing, and you have the same thing with any relationship with society, with government. You have the same thing. If we don't have God in our relationship, then the two is going to be unstable. The two is going to be kind of loosey-goosey. Do your own thing. And every once in a while, they're going to be on the same level, but not always. But if we've got God in our relationship, and the higher we place Him, then we've got the threefold cord. That works. That works. Now, God is not limited to just being the author of truth or just the source of of our strength, or just the giver of life. He is not just the sustainer, 
or the helper or provider, but rather the Lord Jesus Christ is Himself our life. So when we have the threefold cord principle applied to marriage, we have life in the person of Jesus Christ. He is our life. He's not just the source of life. He is our life. Paul said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. A lot of people talk a good talk. But this thing can't just be occasional conversation. This threefold principle, threefold chord principle, has to be more than just a, a, a passing uh, interest, a hobby, a pastime, an add-on, novelty. People get an inclination to take a run at fixing their marriage or fixing their child-rearing or fixing uh, pastors. Take a run, you know, kind of a kind of a, as fast as they can, run to try to fix their church or fix their ministry. One of the most frustrating things for me as an observer, as a pastor, we don't do that, but I have observed other preachers at various levels of their ministry making a run at this and making a run at that. And they're going to try this. And it's, it's like they're standing back and they're picking up the mud and they're trying to throw it against the wall and make it stick. And whatever sticks, they're going to try to work it and work that as long as they can. But you know what? You're not going to build a church that way. You want to know why? Because throwing mud at a wall isn't going to develop any person's spirituality. It's not going to help the individual person. And it's all about helping people to become all that they ought to be for God and by the grace of God, for the glory of God. That's what the ministry is. It's not how we're going to make the ministry look or how we're going to twist a phrase or how we're going to advertise or how we're going to look good at doing this ministry. It's... It is, will this help that person or that family become all that they can be for God? So godliness isn't one of these up and down things, whatever, loosey-goosey. But it has to be like a threefold cord. Spirituality has to be a threefold cord. Holiness has to be a threefold cord. With Jesus Christ... Jesus Christ Himself being in this. In Galatians chapter 2, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. We know that the crucified life, as described maybe by some of the old deeper life Keswick preachers, but they were, they were okay in their place. Just You can't go to seed on that, that's all. You just have to recognize it. And I, I wish so many people that were married to uh, church methods, church methods, rather than the walk with God and the, the deeper experience with the Lord. Have, they, they need some balance in their life. We need to have that balance. We need to be crucified with Christ. We need to die to a self-willed way of life. We need to recognize that it's Jesus Christ we have to yield to in our life and in our relationship. Everything... We do in all of our relationships. It's not formula Christianity. I was preaching a meeting for a guy out in Santa Cruz, California years ago. He's not in that church anymore, so there's no danger of, of anybody knowing who he is. But, but he made the statement to me, and then later on to Dr. Charles Hand. Dr. Charles Hand said, did that, did 
Did that yardbird say that to you? And I said, yeah, he said that to me. I wouldn't call him a yardbird, but yeah, he said that. He said, I have discovered successful Christianity. Oh, my. He says, if you just do one and two and three and four and five, you've got it down. That's simple, basic Christianity. Just do one, two, three, four, five. I was young in the ministry. I'd held a meeting for him, but Dr. Charles Hand had been around a couple decades longer than I. Dr. Charles Hand did not hold back. In love, he, he unloaded on him. He said, you say it's one, two, three, four, and five? He said, yeah, it's one, two, three, four, and five. He said, I want you to know some of the most wicked people I know do one, two, three, four, and five. That is not the secret. The secret, if there is such a thing as a secret, it's not a secret, is not a recipe, it's not a routine, it's, it's not a you know, rotation of things. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ isn't in my life on an everyday basis, if He isn't my life and my breath and my song and my love and everything in and through me, if He's not in my relationship with my wife, if He's not in our family, if He's not in our church, if He's not, if he's not here wherever we are, then guess what? Whatever it is that we're part of is bound to fail. At the very best, it's going to be insecure and unstable. So important. I got convicted this week that when we testify, we don't testify enough, guys. But what these women, our woman, means to us and to our spirituality and to our walk with God. If it weren't for Gwendolyn in my life, there would not be the stability that I enjoy and appreciate so much. Now, that doesn't sound very romantic, sweetheart. So, would you marry me all over again? Amen. Amen. But on a practical level, that's, that is what stability is all about. Isn't it great? Isn't it fantastic? Live joyfully with the wife of thy youth all the days of your life. That's it. Amen? Amen. If God allows you to live approximately the same length of time and then, you know, go to heaven at the same time, that's wonderful. That isn't always the case. I understand. But we should be testifying. And ladies, if the relationship that you have with the Lord and with each other is a threefold cord relationship, that's what makes it stable, we should be testifying to that. We should be telling so that others would be encouraged. I think sometimes we come to church and we just assume that everybody's on the same track in every area of their life, every venue. That's not the case at all. I mean, you go out the door, you meet people uh, wherever they are, out and about, or at their homes, and you find out that is not the case. He is, after all, the, the name for God in the Bible is I am, I am. So He is our everything. The threefold cord is not simply good, better, best. The threefold cord is the stability that we have by having Jesus Christ 
ruling and overruling in our life and in our relationships. That's the threefold cord. That will keep us from stumbling and being defeated and getting discouraged and giving up and quitting. Yeah, we should go soul winning by two, but we should have Jesus with us and be three a threefold cord when we go soul winning, when we're serving God, when we're in ministry together. It's not just cooperation and teamwork. While there are advantages to that, if you don't believe that, try coaching a team that doesn't know what teamwork means. But it's far deeper than that. The meaning is this, that God in our life makes all the difference. In the beginning, God. In our marriage, in our friendship, in our, in our church, wherever. We will not fail unless we try to go alone or without the Lord Jesus Christ. God in the middle. God actively there. Our yielding in our decisions to the great I Am. See, does the great I Am care what color the wall is painted at home? We should at least pray about it. Does the great I Am care what kind of an automobile we drive? We ought to at least pray about it. We ought to pray together about it. When it comes to plans for now and for in the future, the great I Am cares about every bit of it. And He has a perfect will. And we need to pray to be in that perfect will or to be pliable so the Lord will change our prayer or change our direction. That's it. How many of you have ever experienced the absolute oh, overflowing joy of having God do something so real in answer to prayer that you know that it wouldn't have happened apart from the will of God. Come on, put your hands up. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. We can have that on every level. Now, I'm not talking about dropping to two knees when you're in the supermarket and asking the Lord which can of beans to buy. I'm not, not talking about that. But I'm saying as a general operating procedure, we need to have more threefold cord relationships. We need more threefold cord churches. We need more threefold cord soul winners. We need more threefold cord citizens, members of society. God help us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking. And how many of you tonight would say, Preacher, God spoke to my heart in the message tonight. Slip your hand up. God spoke to my heart. Amen. Amen. Let's be prayer warriors. Let's be three fold cord individuals and have threefold cord relationships. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you be willing right now to pray from your heart and ask Jesus in? Would you do that? If you know that you're a sinner and you want to be saved, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray right now something like this? Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. And right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. And if you prayed that prayer and meant it, slip your hand up, anyone at all.
Bonita 